Hello, hello, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Westcliff Climb. Uh, this is Pastor Joshua Duffy. So glad that you guys could join me. Whether you catch us on the uh, the rerun on the podcast audio format or uh, right here live and in person, um, want to talk about identity. Identity, identity, identity is a hot topic. Uh, of the day and is uh, something that really is is taking over uh, our culture, our country, our society, our world. Um, and it is something that is, uh, without a doubt, a very biblical conversation for sure. Um, it's something that um, is oftentimes leveraged uh, to divide people uh, and is oftentimes leveraged in an extremely effective way. Um, and, uh, and consequently, also scripture speaks um, in depth to the idea of identity, because that's really where the battle starts. If you can convince people that at their core, they are someone or something different than what they've come to believe about themselves, then you can change and challenge their beliefs. Once you've changed and challenged their beliefs, um, you can get them to maybe think in a different way. And once you get them to think in a different way, then you get them to act in a different way. And so um, in a culture and a society, biblically, when things kind of, you kind of back things up, um, the marriage and the family is quite literally the bedrock of society and culture. So if you can redefine culture and, and identity by going after individuals first, you then can uh, affect and impact how and what their marriages begin to look like. If you can affect what the marriage looks like and begin to affect what the what the uh, the family unit looks like. And then once you've affected what the family unit looks like, then you're able to to basically change culture and how it it operates. So this is what's at stake. Um, just to kind of give you some some kind of background of why I'm saying identity in, in the way that I am. Um, if you aren't familiar, like in the Old Testament, uh, many times this is this is not well understood why God would go to such great lengths to have people eat differently, dress differently, cut their hair differently. And, and there's a lot of things that culture does where they'll, they'll take things out of context as to why God would say X, Y, and Z and, um, you know, tell you to cut your hair, tell you not to do this, not to do that. And, you know, why did he, you know, basically change the rules or whatever into the ministry of Jesus or nowadays, the whole idea of that era and that time, A, was for their health. Okay, that they would be a set apart people, though, in that they would also would not eat what older other idol worshiping, false god worshiping nations around them would eat and partake in. Um, they would look a certain way. They would look different, um, so that they would look like a set apart group of people. That's setting up that same theme that you would then see carry itself out into the New Testament, and even today as the church, that you are supposed to be a set apart nation. Um, that looks and interacts differently. You can look at that group of people and go, oh, there's something different about them. Um, and so this goes back even to the narrative of the children of Israel and being set apart for a purpose and God's whole, God's whole plan and purpose for his people to not look like other godless nations, okay? Idol worshiping nations, pagan nations, but that they'd be set apart and they would reflect the one true living God. So you see that in the the Old Testament play itself out numerous times. Um, and then and then this theme is rolls right into the ministry of Jesus. What's interesting is this is the battleground and this is the whole issue during Jesus's ministry. 
is identity. Like, who is he, right? I mean, in the book of John, it is it is thrown in the book of John constantly, like these I am statements, right? I am the bread of life. I am the door, you know? All of this is like, these are identity type statements. And it's really interesting when, when Jesus' ministry gets kicked off, you know, and there's the baptism of, of Jesus, you know, you see the heavens open up and God says, you know, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. What is that? Identity. What is he putting over him? This is who this person is. Okay. And it's interesting because Mark kind of captures like a certain sense of pace that, you know, immediately Jesus is led into the desert. Um, And at that point, like Jesus goes into the desert and then he has a conversation with Satan when he's at his weakest point. And what is at the core topic of the discussion between Jesus and Satan? Identity. So what you before I even go into what happens between Jesus and Satan, just hit pause. Any time in your culture, in your country, in your world, you're seeing discussions about identity. Understand it's it's end game is to change the beliefs of the hearer, to change then the purpose of the hearer, the actions of the hearer, right? And the fundamental society that surrounds the hearer of that message, okay? God is passionate about identity. And you know who else is passionate about identity? Satan, okay? So this is this is a very weird, very real battle. And so as followers of Jesus, whenever you think, oh yeah, like, you know, um, you know, we have discussion about identity and culture and society, and we'll get into that in deeper in, in a moment, like, oh, okay, well, that that can exist while this exists over here. Um, you you have to be able to recognize when there's a collision course of your of your culture and what Jesus has for you. It's not the same thing. Okay. So uh Jesus, he's in the desert, he's with uh, Satan at this point, he's he's well into his fast. He hasn't eaten in in weeks at this point. He's in a weakened state. Um, I like to think that like Satan didn't just come at him like the way that we think of some terrifying um, creature or whatever. I think he tries to come at Jesus as kind of compassionate. You know, um, we always think that Satan shows up and his his one and only trick is to be something that's terrifying and horrifying. Um, I think sometimes he can come across, that's just part of the game, like come across as compassionate and come across as loving. Uh, And meanwhile, what he's absolutely selling you is nothing but poison. Okay. And so I think he comes across to Jesus as like really like sympathetic, like, hey, you know, like I know you're hungry, you know, but what he throws in there, because Jesus is hungry, he goes, listen, if you are the son of God. So what's he doing? He's asking and questioning the very identity of Jesus. And he's he's trying to get Jesus to do something that's contrary to his identity. So he's saying, listen, you know, if you are the son of God, hey, look, I know you're hungry, you know, just turn these stones into bread. Okay, eat, eat up. You deserve it. You know, so like and, and mind you, why hasn't Jesus eaten? Jesus hasn't eaten out of a disciplined choice in seeking the will of the Father, in seeking um, this transition to now being like his ministry getting kicked off. Like, and really what, what Satan is trying to do is not only question his identity, 
He's trying to get him to make decisions that ultimately undermine his identity. Okay. So first thing is like, Hey, you know, if you're this, you're the son of God, just turn these stones into bread. You know, we know you're hungry. And Jesus, Jesus kind of jujitsu's it, hits them back with, with scripture in its right context to let them know, like, listen, uh, uh-uh, uh, that's not happening. Right. Well, Satan doesn't stop there. Satan comes right back to him and goes, listen, why, you know, if you were to throw yourself down off of this cliff, you know, you know, surely the father will, you know, he, he won't even let you remotely hit the ground. Like he, he's not going to let you so much as stub your toe. Like he'll send his angels down and protect you. Well, what, what is he actually questioning? And then he goes after the identity of whom? The father, right? Like who's the most misunderstood member of the Trinity? You could argue it's Holy Spirit. But the father, oftentimes we just think of the father as, is so many people will go, I love Jesus. I don't know what I think about the father. You know, he's, he just wants to incinerate and burn down cities. You know, that's his whole thing. You know, he's angry or whatever, you know, like, and so he's, he's questioning then the identity of the father. And he, he's actually challenging the father on two levels. Like one is go ahead and, and jump off. Like, you know, of course, and certainly the father will, like, like he has the love for you to rescue you. He loves you enough to rescue. Um, but then what he's also questioning is, does he even have the power to do it? You know, like, let's see. Right. And if you think about it, most of us live in that realm, like Satan, culture, society, sometimes will throw at you kind of a similar idea about your situation. And maybe, maybe even in your own brokenness, you can begin to question if God has both love and power, right? One is, one is the ability and the authority to send angels down to save you. And the other one, the other side of it is to have the heart to care enough to begin with to do that. And sometimes when we're caught in difficult times, we can start to wonder if if God even loves us, does he even see us, does he even notice us, does he even care, right? And if he, and we go, yes, I know he loves me, I know he does. Well, then the, what's the other side to it? Then why doesn't he do something about it, right? Well, that's the that's. That's Satan's playground. That's Satan's dimension. And he's doing the same thing with Jesus. Jesus, again, kind of slips him, right? And hits him back with scripture, again, in its right context. And, and Satan backs off of that. Well, what's his What's his last move? His last move is finally, like, he, he takes him, shows him all the kingdoms. And I tend to think, like, because, you know, they can operate in this whole other dimension. I, I think that Satan just didn't take him up to look at, you know, a bunch of stuff. 2000 years ago in its current setting, contextual setting. I think, yeah, I, I think they saw that, but I think they saw everything that would ever be. I don't know. It, it's kind of a cool, crazy thought to me. And I, I think he showed them all of that and was like, listen, why don't you just bow down and worship me? As if to say, you can keep your identity. Okay. We'll let the father be the father. Sure. Okay. And we'll let you be the son. All right. Obviously you're the son of God. Now I just want you to do something that what, if he does it, is literally making him no longer what? The son of God, right? Like don't obey the will of the father. That's what the son does. Now obey the will of me, Satan, the counterfeit father. So see, he even even tries to give him ground to affirm that, that identity that you told me now twice in a row is yours. Go ahead, you keep it. Now I want you to just engage in behavior or engage in a series of decisions that's contrary 
to the identity that I just told you you could keep. Does that make sense? Like this is the weird mind paradoxical jujitsu craziness that's happening between these, right? Between Jesus and Satan. It's it's absolutely nuts. Um, and so it, it's at that moment that finally, like, you know, and, and he's even kind of giving Jesus kind of an out, you know, like, hey, like, it doesn't have to go this bad for you, you know? Like, you bow down and worship me. Every, you know, basically I'll take care of culture and society. All right. And everyone's just going to love you. It'll be great. Right. And meanwhile, Jesus would undermine his identity. And so Jesus, again, just, you know, shoves him off. He gets out of there. The angels come back and administer to Jesus. And then his ministry starts. So I, I share that with you because identity is everything. Identity is how you divide people. And this is also why Paul in Galatians 3 is so clear that it's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female, uh, neither slave nor free. Like all, all are one in Christ Jesus. He even goes as far to say as we are grafted um, basically into the family tree of Abraham. So it's not just like, oh, that's great. I'm a Gentile and now I, I'm in God's family. He's like, no, no, because of your faith, you're like, it's like you're in the family tree. You're in the family lineage. And for Jews, for thousands of years, their family lineage is everything. This is shocking what Paul is saying. And what he's speaking to at its heart is identity, okay? And so identity, identity, identity is how you divide people, okay? Whenever you look in your culture and society, and this is where the church has to push against all of this stuff, has to push against it, okay? Because the church is not either for or against social movements, as an example. Like they think, like we like to think we are, like that it's, you know, the church is struggling because of separation of church and state. And then there's like this social stuff that's happening on all kinds of different levels. And the way that we all filter it, because this is what we're told, is that, well, I, you know, I think we just kind of don't know what box to put it in. So we, we, we assume it's on the state side, because it's not on the church side in the sense that, like the, the state seems to be able to talk about every last social movement that's happening. So I guess it's okay. What we don't realize is like a lot of what's happening is not functioning as something just simply in society. It's functioning as a counterfeit religion. It's functioning as a counterfeit God. It's functioning as something else that's trying to divide people for a whole nother sense of faith statements and beliefs and everything else. That's the deception of it. So Christians aren't thinking about what's happening as though this is a whole nother religion that's threatening our faith. We don't think of it that way. We look at it as a social movement and how can we either adopt it, adapt it, embrace it, reject it. We're not thinking of it because if you really look at it, like you really look at scripture, it's all there in terms of what a healthy nation looks like, what a healthy family looks like how to deal with race relations in America, um, how to deal with your sexuality, um, how to deal with every part of raising kids, what your home should look like, how to navigate all, you know, anything and everything. It's all there. So when something else is showing up going, oh, you know, um, haven't really thought of this. I bet you haven't. And I don't know that scripture is really clear on this. And then we all try to figure out how to adapt it or adopt it. We're not seeing it with, with the lens that it's actually like what's actually happening, which is to undermine your faith, which is actually to give you a different identity. So you'll always notice that culture 
will go identity, 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 because that's how you actually separate people. That's the purpose. So if you try to separate people by race, right, white or black in America, as an example, that's all that is. It's not actually for the purpose of eventually getting to harmony. It's actually for the purpose of sowing seeds of dissension um, and and a contention, contentious kind of uh, tone and uh, relationship within our society and culture for the purpose of weakening people, for the purpose of weakening society and to give other people power. Um, and, and I get it. Like there, there are true believers out there who would totally reject what I just said. But if you really look at like, like the end game of what's happening, like the net result isn't like another version of harmony or isn't like the, 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 like the end game isn't going somewhere that lands us on a biblical landing spot. Something that we would say is like a biblical understanding of race relations. It's for the sole purpose of splitting people in half, splitting a culture in half, splitting a society in half. Um, and what's even more interesting about the deception of the whole thing is that when even when we talk, let's say just for a moment, like while we're on the topic, like race relations in America, we don't, it's not actually about skin color. That's, that's what we think it is. It's actually about your thoughts, which is interesting, right? Because it's not, it's not just about how a person looks. A person can look different than me, but if they agree with me, then they are actually thinking like me and my, my race, my ethnicity. So it, it's as much about your thoughts than how you look, if that makes any sense. And that's what's, that's what's like this, all of this, like the chess pieces that are constantly moving in society and in culture is you're quite literally up against kind of a fake false religions. And what I mean is like, there's always, you're always going to notice in every movement, like there's, there's a Godhead. There's one or two people that are in control or are running a movement. Okay. And then you'll see that at some point there's a desire for atonement. Okay. Um, there are guilt offerings, whether that be in some form of fashion, it could be literally money. It could be in some other, you know, um, behavior. It could be whatever, like you're going to pay homage and make atonement for the sins of yourself or people who look like you or have come before you. Okay. And, and then that'll be deemed whether or not it is uh, a worthy offering or not. The only difference is, is it, it never actually goes as far as Galatians to where at some point we're all one. No one ever asks like, what's the end game of what's happening? Like what's the final destination look like? Scripture's clear. The end, the end game, we're all one, we're all one family, right? Like there's a really clear, beautiful idea of Jesus having a home with many, many rooms. And we're all going to be like living large with Jesus, no matter what we look like, no matter what our race or ethnicity is. And that's his desire that there would be no differences between us. Right. Um, the, like the man-made religion version of this is like only like the executive director ends up with a house with many rooms. Okay. And then loses $90 million. Okay. So like that's, that's how that looks in the man-made religion version. Everything is about atonement, guilt offerings, right? And then you divide and conquer people um, and you put them in categories and camps because no matter what, that'll eventually turn them against one another. And turning them against one another, that's how you weaken them. You see the same thing in the, um, 
like you see in the LGBTQ um, movement. And this is what's so interesting too, is like, if you notice anytime Jesus is given like macro social topics, okay. Um, like one time he got questioned about marriage from all the Pharisees. And it, it's so interesting because they're trying to trap him on a high level, big topic kind of thing, right? Like they're really trying to like pin him to like, so, so what's your take on divorce? If this, this, and this happens. And Jesus just goes, you know, it was not so from the beginning. Translation, like via John, like I designed this, like it was the father's will to design it this way. I spoke it into being, you all messed it up. And now don't ask me to fix it in your little rhetorical game. Cause how's Jesus going to have to fix it, right? He's going to have to go get on a cross to fix all everything that's been messed up. So he just drops the mic and walks away. So Jesus doesn't play the game of the macro conversation. And yet you see him when he deals with individuals whose hearts have been prompted and prepared for a conversation about the heart and for a deeper conversation like the woman at the well, then then he does dig in, if you notice. That's what's so fascinating about Jesus. Like he really does pick his spots and Christians have to be really discerning especially when you you consider the LGBTQ like movement and the amount of like power it has, the amount of influence it now has on so many different levels of our society. Like, like watching how Jesus navigated culture and society is fascinating. And so you'll look at that, like that's a great example. And it's actually a great example for any other kind of take that people have, no matter what your leanings are, liberal or conservative, right? Like, it's the idea that you can have kind of the Jesus plus movement or you can have kind of a blank and then Jesus, you know, you can be a uh, or Christian. You know, if you hear someone say something that comes before the name Christian, then the Christian part is an add on. OK, um, the Christian part is just a, a footnote. It's a tag along what Jesus wants. And this is the point of my video. He wants to be your identity. He doesn't want to be part of your identity. Okay. So he's not looking for gay Christians. He's looking for Christians. Right. There's a difference. He's not looking for um, like Republican Christians or Democrat Christians. He's looking for Christians. He's looking for followers of him. And so often, and what you'll see is this little sleight of hand. Someone will say, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a gay Christian. Well, like that's your identity. That's actually your identity. And now you've attached this to it. Well, that He wants all of me and he wants all of you. That's the point I'm trying to drive home with the video is that it's all about identity. Jesus doesn't want to be an add-on. He doesn't want to be taped and glued to whatever you first and foremost identify as. What he wants to be is all of you, all of who you are. And then all that we are and all that we struggle with or all that we deal with or all the good, bad, and the ugly of us, he wants that submitted to him. That's what he wants. And in moments of frailty and weakness and our fallenness, when we fall, because we are grafted in, right, we aren't defined by our mistakes, our faults, our failures, our struggles. We are his son and his daughter of a king, okay? It's like when I ask my children, why does daddy love you? And they say, because I do good on my homework. No, nope, that's the wrong answer. Well, because I, uh, you know, 
I don't know. I have a good, I have a good attitude. I clean my room. Nope. Wrong answer. I love you because you're mine. See, it's about identity. What's the identity? That you are my kid. That's the message. And that's, that's what I want you to catch is the sleight of hand of how when you listen now, rhetorically, listen to people that when they identify as a follower of Jesus, if they putting anything in front of that, that no matter what side of the fence, that's where you really need to be cluing in that it's a Jesus plus ministry that the apostle Paul fought against everywhere, trying to add laws, rules, regulations, trying to alter the message of the gospel for your identity. Cause Paul understood identity, identity, identity. Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your identity. He wants to be all of your identity. That's why he died on the cross. He became not just the worst of us on the cross. He became even the good stuff because we're broken people. And so what do we have in Jesus? It's this free gift given to us that we get to live in freedom. We get to live in his presence, not defined by any of the things that culture and society tell us that we're defined by. We really are a counter-cultural movement. That's his goal. Recognize the false religions and the fake religions. They're not actually about society and culture and social movements. They function as a false God and a false religion. Recognize that. Listen closely to anyone who puts anything in front of Christian or anything in front of follower of Jesus. And that'll tell you that's their actual identity. You won't ever rarely hear anybody flip the two because they're already showing you that's what's up. And so this is this is the, the battle that we're in um, as followers of Jesus is multidimensional. It's, it's like 3D chess, and we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the X factor in navigating culture and society. Man, how bad do we need Jesus? And we need the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us truth, 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 truth. Man, that's huge right now. Grace and truth. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank and praise you um, for this season. It's a fascinating time to be alive. And um, we just ask that you would empower us to navigate the waters of culture and society in a faithful and true way. Give us extreme discernment of which of, of just how to navigate the world that we're in. And, and you did it masterfully in the way that you handled big topic conversations, high level umbrella conversations and how much you would say, but then the way that you extended grace and mercy and such a depth of dialogue for people whose hearts were truly inclined and ready to hear something beautiful about who you were as you would restore them and give them a new identity, which gave them a new purpose, which would do amazing things in culture and society. Um, you, you want us to be light in dark places. You call us to be like salt to this earth, to bring flavor to it. And, uh, and that we would provide grace and truth by the prompting of your spirit, your beautiful, beautiful example and the gift that you are to us. Thank you for, for defeating Satan, uh, sin, uh, and certain death. Thank you that we have life for you. It's in your name, Jesus. I love you guys. I will see you later. Later. Later.